So a blunt uh, first question to start off with. Who are you and what do you do? So my name is Harry Beard. I'm 23 from Bedford and I'm the co-founder of an organization called Prospect 100. And yep. we run online competitions for young designers. And we're really trying to be the the TED of competitions. Okay. So talk, talking of TED, you've given me a nice little little segue. Okay. I watched your TED talk okay, yeah, yeah. that you did uh, on Gen Z, mm-hmm. uh, the modern age. So it's the people that are born between 1995 and 2012? 2010. 2010. Yeah. Okay. So that, that's me and you as well. Yeah, exactly. Well, there, there we go. So first-hand experience, uh, and particularly on the opportunities we have, yeah, and um, potentially waste as well. Uh, so it's been cool. I, I googled it just to look it up and look about some facts. This is the digital age. Yeah. Uh, so particularly with technology and social media, and all of that sort of stuff, just straight into it. Uh, the mental health effects. So sort of going into the negativity. What do you think the mental health effects of social media and everything around it are? I think there's so many different ways to look at that question because and I'll, I'll give it from a very personal answer. I joined yeah. Facebook when I was seven years old. Yeah. And so just because I want to play Farmville, right? And I yeah. think that's probably a, a similar reason why many early adopters joined Facebook. And so one of the things that really keeps me up at night, let's say, is the fact that I have no idea what I was saying on the internet at the age of seven yeah. or eight yeah. or nine. And we see so many examples of people having their careers completely Coming destroyed. You, yeah. exactly, exactly. By stuff they were saying when they were 30 or stuff yeah. they were saying when they were fully grown, yeah. mature adults. And... And also sometimes time could be, you know, some of these tweets that are coming out about people from sort of 2013. So yeah. they were already famous, already in the public eye, but times and perceptions have changed. And yeah. now, you know, that that message they put in 2013 is definitely... It meant nothing at the time. And now well, it means... the point is when they put it out, no one commented, but it's come back to haunt them. Oh, right, yeah. Okay, you know, exactly, and so yeah. I am always really paranoid about, you know, what on earth was seven-year-old Harry saying to his mates yeah. by chat? You know, yeah. it's crazy. And so I think we can go down a whole rabbit hole, but I think one of the things that just from a personal perspective, because I've never personally suffered from mental health issues, so I don't want to talk too much on that just because I've never had yeah, like personal yeah. experience, I guess. But from a, a real personal experience for me, it's I am always really paranoid about the fact that m- my life could come to an end based on a message i sent when i was eight yeah because i wanted to play farmville and yeah. that that really worries me i think platforms like snapchat yeah whilst the ghost messaging feature was probably almost like a joke to begin with like probably, i think yeah. the whole thing to begin with was like risky messages that you yeah, wanted to send yeah. whereas now i actually look at that and go wow that's a platform for a generation because you know it really is yeah. I, I guess sort of quite protective in some respects so i think snapchat uh, that feature has, has been really strong. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely think social media clearly has a lot of problems. But as you mentioned within my talk, I really tried to focus on the benefits. Yeah. Um, because I think the internet is always filled with loads of negative. So I was trying to be really positive uh, yeah. in my outlook, which was the guys I started Prospect 100 with, I never would have met without social media. Yeah. And there are plenty of examples of, uh, okay, so we worked on a brand partnership with Swatch at the end of last year. Yeah. That wouldn't have been possible without social media. I started Prospect 100 with my two founders I met on social media using just social media to launch the business with no real upfront capital. Yeah. And so when I was presenting the talk, I did overlook slightly. And again, I was 
young, I guess, when giving the talk and, and maybe not the most informed even to this day, but still my my talk was really focused on there are lots of negatives and we can spend hours upon hours talking about yeah. them. But actually one thing I want to say is there are plenty of opportunities that are available to us as a generation now that weren't available to my grandparents mm. and I bet they would love to have to those have opportunities. opportunities exactly, and I yeah. really wanted to create this message which was okay for better or worse there are great opportunities that can come from social media and i think more of us can be trying to maximize those opportunities so for example this podcast if yeah. it was being if we were to do something similar to this 10 years ago it'd be very different yeah we'd be sat in front of a live audience of yeah. 100 people or whatever yeah. the number would turn up whereas now you could put this out there on the internet and yeah. let's see how many views it gets who knows exactly um, yeah so do you think it's sort of in the as a society in the media and press we only sort of report the the negative things that happen or the like negative tweets that someone's tweeted or something like that well i mean sensationalism right so anything that's going to get clicks and that's usually the a really stuff. great great or a really low low yeah. um probably more often lows because it sparks yeah. debate right so there was something quite interesting recently when elon musk went to buy twitter and a load of the devs at twitter were coming out saying that they were told at twitter to make the algorithm uh, as such that it would promote conversation sparking topics and, yeah. and often those are probably more negative than positive let's say that's probably true yeah so um keeping on the the gen z sort of topic uh another thing it said on google is about uh reduced attention span confidence and vocabulary it used like these three words throughout uh particularly with social media as well and like talking everyone's talking online now you don't need to meet up with someone to have a conversation with them uh so do you think do you think that's true and do you think it is a problem that's going to potentially affect us as a generation in the future yeah i think there's definitely gonna be lots of problems and, and long-term effects most of which we probably aren't fully aware of today one which is quite interesting i was talking with someone about recently was particularly to do with working from home so this yeah. idea that uh generation z are kind of the first working from home generation yeah. and whilst that sounds great because you can now not commute and you save that kind of 30 minute buffer for commute every day that i used to have i, I guess going into central bedford um one thing that is being really missed out on is all of the the stuff you learn by osmosis almost so just mm. by sitting in an office or sitting in a classroom yeah. you're going to pick up things or have conversations or overhear someone speaking which is actually helping your development, which our generation is really going to miss out on potentially yeah. if we're working from home. And and the person I was speaking about this with made a, a prediction that the generation after us would leapfrog our generation because yeah. of that aspect, that they're getting all of those extra, um, I guess, in-person yeah, minutes. Yeah, so it's something in. we sort of look over. I feel like it's something you don't notice is happening, but it is key to your development as a person yeah for sure i never thought about that before yeah, exactly. and again because we've never been in an office i guess we, we were never going to think about that's that true, right yeah. so from people that do know it's obviously something they can see that's happening yeah it was it was a comment which when it was made to me i was like oh yeah that's probably pretty true yeah. but it would be impossible for me to notice but i'm interested to know what do you think to that as a uh i do i do feel like it's sort of the same. obviously i haven't had the 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 time as like going out and having all these conversations with people and watching like people around me develop if you know what i mean mm. to see how they become who they are based on interactions with other people but i do feel sort of the same way as you to be honest that we are going to grow up differently but and, but then it's also going to be a different society that's had to adapt because of these missed out uh, social interactions and everything becoming more 
based on social media. What do you think to the the idea about the attention span, though, particularly? I think it's true. I think I'm probably a victim to it as well, definitely. I think it's really interesting. I think, uh, and in the the talk you mentioned, the the phrase I reused was like a BS filter. So I feel like the attention span, but I don't know about you, I'm quite good at watching a sort of 40-minute sidemen YouTube video or something. So I feel like once my attention's been grabbed, I'm pretty all in. But the time like for the attention to be grabbed is very 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 short six seconds or something yeah, they say, right? and that's probably yeah, or quite you just long click off and you're straight on something else as well for sure so it's all about that idea of a an initial hook but i think once yeah. someone's attention's hooked as side men keep are, it going yeah, yeah side men have proven though that kids of our age are pretty willing to yeah. sit there for a while it is true but then i feel some of the older stuff like I just this is just me it's probably not other people as well but like nature documentaries or just generally tv programs I can't like sit down and just watch I just lose interest from it which sounds very broad just saying like all tv programs no it's true it's true yeah I mean YouTube's kind of I guess become king for that you know it has yeah David Dobrik with the four minute long videos Mr. Beast is super quick with everything so definitely the attention span is shortened but I'm quite interested by this idea that our generation has no attention span and it's like yeah. if it's not 10 seconds and get rid of it and and quibi was that whole uh video platform that took that mantra where they tried to create vertical uh vertical content that was only 10 minutes or under mm. and you know i i was quite fascinated by the fact that actually i think a lot of the best youtube content i watch is probably 14 or 15 minutes long yeah. minimum because i feel like a six minute video is not long enough to really get anything interesting yeah. But definitely, I'm not sat there watching for two hours. Like, yeah, we were just definitely. talking about the Elvis movie. Like yeah. Three hours is pretty long. Yeah, exactly. So it's definitely grabbing the audience attention straight away is like key to like media nowadays, I feel like. For sure. And, yeah. and I think TikTok's really, uh, I guess, emphasize that more than anything. I feel that's true because if you get bored of something straight, you can just get it and it's gone. There's something else new straight away. Yeah, exactly. And everything has to be short. So it's, it's basically a business model, to be honest. Yeah, I think TikTok's super fascinating. I love, I say I love, I'm really intrigued by their ability to just make kids famous. The algorithm's so strong. Instagram never had that mantra of how do we make everyone famous. And and I guess um, that's what TikTok's massive strength is because it really incentivizes you to keep posting and and post as much as possible, no matter how long or I guess the content is. It's just constant barrage of posting and yeah i think tiktok's done a few things really well like as we mentioned the short form content but the algorithm's been really strong mm. so with the thing you just mentioned of like anyone or kids particularly becoming famous what do you think the best way to uh, like make noise on these social media platforms is and to become famous obviously it depends on the platform but as a general rule i mean i don't know because i've never done it myself i can definitely tell you what we at prospect 100 done of, to build a name for ourselves yeah. and and we really focused on, on I guess, three key things. One was sharing. So there's this idea called K-factor. It's like a, yeah. quite a technical term. And it's how can you get as many people as possible to share what you're doing? So for us, our competitions, when we first started, were really designed to get as many people to share them as possible, Yeah. which is why we were able to get like quite a few impressions on everything for not any budget, I suppose. Yeah. Um, the second thing was for us celebrity endorsement. I think we were really fortunate with the pandemic because mm. there were a lot of people at home who were, you know, not able to, I guess, continue with daily life. So we were able to attract the attention of people we probably wouldn't have done normally. Yeah. And I think what's interesting is, and I tested it a bit with TikTok. I posted just like a normal video, 
And then another video, which again was pretty mundane, but there was a celebrity's face in it. And yeah. the celebrity face video got 10,000 views mm. and the random TikTok got like 100. And, yeah. and definitely I think we as people are drawn to celebrities. It's quite an obvious one, but I find that it changes perceptions so easy. We could have just been an Instagram account making random competitions, but the yeah. fact that there was someone vaguely credible in some way associating themselves yeah. to it, it made what we were doing more interesting and more shareable. Yeah. And so I definitely think um, if you can ever t attach yourselves to a, a credible figure or a credible institution, that's really powerful. Yeah. Um, and, and the third thing for us was, again, I guess it's that credibility, but really press is pretty strong. Like I think I definitely overlooked the power of press and now press comes in so many different forms, particularly with TikTok. There are publications that are just on TikTok. They're yeah. not really on anything else. And for us, that was a really strong way of getting, mm. I guess, more people to see our name and to see what we were about and to also help tell our story. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't know how an individual becomes famous because I've never done it. Um, but that's how we made our brand yeah, so slightly as, more as, well known. Yeah, so sorry. Is there anything else? No, sorry. Oh, okay. Sorry. So as sort of uh, an individual or a company, do you feel like it's very much trying to work out what the algorithm is and then playing your cards right into it? I think we definitely have tried to do sort of tricks like that, I guess, yeah. uh, which were suggested to us by people. Um, I don't know if it's so much. Um, like I, I definitely think you want to make an element of science in there. But for us, we really focused on building a brand. Like, What's the story? Who are we? What are we about? And that story is not just verbal or that um, brand is not just a verbal brand. It's a visual brand as well. So yeah. how do we tell those stories, etc.? So, we've yeah for us we've really focused on brand but again I, it's hard for me to tell about an, an individual because i've never grown a a huge tiktok account where i've yeah done something so um yeah it's hard for me but yeah i definitely think what we've done is really look at inspirational figures for us and i think what's great with the internet is you can see everything you see someone's oldest post from when they were first starting yeah uh if you're looking at businesses you can look on Crunchbase and find old articles and I really recommend using blueprints. Like, yeah. again, if we were starting a business in the 1950s, I'd have had to go and read up in encyclopedias or whatever it might be about other companies and, and try and meet with individuals. Whereas now I can just go onto Crunchbase or find old articles or look at their first ever social media posts and really understand how they grew. Yeah. And I definitely recommend, you know, all of the information we want in the world is... At our fingertips. Yeah, it's pretty yeah. accessible, right? Yeah. So. I definitely recommend um, looking for blueprints where possible. Mm. So you mentioned uh, branding. Do yeah. you think branding is one of the most important parts of being successful when starting or like having a company? Again, I, um, I, I'm going to caveat this with saying like I think there's probably lots of different things that are really success, uh, really important. There's not sort of a one, you know, one size fits all. Yeah, I definitely feel for us, branding was really important yeah um because that perception is kind of everything at the beginning yeah. i felt um and i think the way you create a brand or the type of brand you create is really interesting i think one of the one of the things i would definitely say and this is something which my co-founder alex really told me about and the more i look at blueprints I, I find this to be true is the idea of mastering kind of one thing so what's the one thing you're known for mm. um so in the case of like prospect we want to be known as 
the best competitions on the internet right yeah. we want to run the best and even maybe even boiling it down slightly further to design competitions mm. and i always like to use the analogy of clothing brands here because like if i was to say to you jeans i'm not going to ask just in case you don't say it, but i would like to think levi's would probably be probably be one of the top three brands you'd say or if i said puffer jacket yeah you'd probably say the north face probably yeah and i think what's really smart is that they own share of mind um for those for like one very specific thing Mm. and i my belief is i would way rather be a brand that's known for one thing really really well because at least when every time you think of that one thing you're gonna think of me rather than being the fifth or sixth company you think of for a lot of different things you want to be the one thing that's my belief. Like maybe I'm wrong, but that's that was really my belief, uh, and it was something which Alex like really kind of introduced me to. I guess a few years ago, and it was like, okay, so we want to be the number one for competitions. In the same yeah. way, Ted is the number. You know, Ted is a pop culture reference now. Uh, yeah. In the same way, yeah, the North Face is known for a puffer jacket, um, and so yeah, I, I just find that that branding like obviously you've got a brand from your name and your logo and like your beliefs blah blah blah. but i was really fascinated by this idea of branding on a perception of when you think of my organization what's the first three things that come to your mind yeah so and how people see you rather than yeah like, ex- yeah they're like how they mentally see you almost rather than how they physically see you exactly so like obviously you want to be cool visually and have celebrities attached to our name so that we're a great entity but i really want yeah. if someone says what's prospect 100 you would if you know nothing else you just turn around and go oh they run online design competitions if that's all you knew about us yeah like that's that was the key message i really wanted to get across from yeah. the very beginning so moving um into marketing which is obviously an important part of literally all companies uh one traditional way that i learned uh, to market was to include a lot of comedy in your marketing or jokes or make it almost relatable to yeah. people that are watching it in the modern day of social media and a lot of people getting cancelled and things that orig- like would have been okay to say like 20 years ago or something now becoming offensive to people. Do you feel like marketing with a comedy is a risky method? I think some brands do it really, really well. I yeah. was at um, a, an agency recently called Wyden and Kennedy and yeah. they are incredible at it. Like they do the marketing for McDonald's, etc. And they're phenomenal. Like, they're so good when it comes to comedy. And Wendy's do a great job as well. Ryanair did an incredible job. I'm always a little bit scared of it. Like, even when we're doing captions on Instagram or something, I'm always a bit like, oh. Because I think what can be funny to someone... Won't be funny to someone else. Yeah, or it could just come across as, like, really unfunny. And I'm not too worried about I, I know who i am as an individual i'm probably not gonna say anything that's crazy like yeah. offensive or something but yeah. i'm probably gonna say something which i find hilarious and everyone else is like yeah what the heck was this guy on about so um i myself i think it's great for sure me as an individual i don't think i'm funny enough to be going around writing loads of writing. captions so yeah. but if yeah if, i would love to find someone that's funny to be creating our instagrams because i definitely think some of our best performing posts Uh, on instagram have had elements of humor um you know kind of piggybacking off memes or trends um a bit but yeah comedy always does well for sure but me as an individual me as harry i'm always a little bit like because i definitely i don't know about you do you ever read like instagram posts from i always find culturally as well what's a funny joke in the uk might not be a a funny joke somewhere else yeah yeah, and that always scares me a bit i don't know if you feel the same Uh, no i do feel the same yeah and writing 
something that's going to be funny to a, like a wide uh like age bracket a wide like number of cultures everything that's going to be really difficult to do i feel like so if you can be successful with that it's probably very profitable I think but it's then. really good for brands that have like a very clear, like Lyrical Lemonade. I, I love their Instagram account. And I yeah. think their stuff's maybe not like hilarious, funny, but it's definitely sort of, if you were to look at it and you didn't know Lyrical Lemonade, it's almost their own language. Yeah, right? it's almost, yeah. And I, and I find Lyrical Lemonade incredible in that respect. And their audience is bought into the Lyrical Lemonade language. Yeah. And I think any brand that has their own language because then you could kind of create jokes which are not in the realm of the UK or the US, but they're in the realm of lyrical yeah. lemonade. And I find that that works really well. Um, and for sure, I know that a lot of the top brands are building similar ecosystems, but lyrical lemonade does an amazing job. Again, yeah. I'm really obsessed with blueprints and lyrical lemonade for me is, uh, yeah, they've done an incredible mm. job. So just talk, we can base it off lyrical lemonade. So Cole Bennett, uh, yeah. the founder, owner, writer, he directs all the videos as well and everything for anyone that doesn't know. He is obviously young. He's only like in his 20s. So do you feel like people to to make these relatable, funny, like Instagram accounts or music videos nowadays, do you feel like they need to be part of the generation they're making them for to be on board uh, with it? I don't know. Like I find Kevin Hart funny and he's not yeah. my generation. So and I, I, think, I think that's one of those kind of um, maybe that's kind of a rhetoric that's often used by marketers who are young. So it's like, yeah. an easy selling point so yeah. i'm sure i've probably used that line myself mm. but i think virgil abloh was the real voice of a generation or kanye west yeah probably resonates with and again i'm really targeting that lyrical lemonade audience yeah but like cole bennett speaks to that audience as well as virgil or, or kanye yeah. does but they're not the same age so i don't know i really think age can almost be a, a mindset sometimes and i actually find that some of the traits that are really commonly attributed to young people in this day and age are actually probably more prevalent in older generations than in our generation sometimes because yeah. obviously the narrative around our generation is being written by that generation quite often so um I, I don't think you have to be young for sure i definitely think like clearly it's more relatable like yeah, people, um, yeah you understand it more if you're part of it yeah, yeah cole bennett's super cool because he is a kid from chicago and you're like wow this 23 year old or yeah. i think he's 23 is doing all of this and and that is what makes... So I definitely think it makes the story more compelling, yeah. for sure. I don't think you have to be, though. But again, like, what do you think? So, I, I, uh, yeah, I feel like you do... Well, I don't I don't see any reason why someone, say, older, couldn't be part of and understand like all the trends with our generation, everything like that. Uh, and I also feel like, as much as it's sort of overlooked, there is a lot to do with the talent behind it as well. Like he's clearly, although he's this relatable young person, he's clearly like very talented and he's got all of these ideas for high production uh, music videos all the time and he's keep coming out with new original ones. So I feel like it is a lot to do with the talent and it is a lot to do with like, understanding who your audience is. Like He clearly knows exactly what his audience want and what the artist's audience want. But yeah. then I also do feel like you need to yeah just be part of who you're selling to who you're selling a product to and understand what they want as well yeah and i i think you know his collab with minions really showed how good he was at move making yeah. a generation move yeah. um all those kids rocking up to cinemas wearing suits yeah definitely yeah um so yeah i, I mean it's a tricky one we, i think we can all find like nuanced answers where it's like oh well 
Virgil spoke to a generation better than anyone, and he wasn't in it, and you know, but Cole Bennett does, and he was. So I think we'll find arguments either way. I I think I would just say like, if you yourself are starting, a, and that's really I guess the the narrative which I think is quite nice to push. Yeah, obviously, just being within your culture, no matter what that is, find yeah. your subculture that you want to dominate and immerse yourself in that subculture in the same way. Cole Bennett, his sole focus at the beginning, and this goes back to actually the idea of like owning one thing. Like we know him for music videos. Yeah, like there aren't that many people around in the world that we know just for mu- music videos. Yeah. I guess Cootie now because of Genius. Yeah, and um, oh, I forgot the guy's name. Um, the guy that Kanye made Jesus Walks with instead of Cootie. Is it uh Steve Cannon? Nah, I can't he remember. But well. but um, you know. We know Cole Bennett for that one thing. That one thing, yeah. And he's now been able to branch out because of that. But he, and he only did Chicago-based artists to begin with. Yeah. So it was like, he really knew that culture. Like, uh, he knew exactly, like, who are the hottest rappers in Chicago. He obviously did super lo-fi content or, like, low production quality yeah. to begin with. Um, and he knew that audience better than anyone. And that doesn't mean you have to be a certain age or anything. It's just, like, putting yourself in the epicenter, I guess. Yeah, and yeah. and that's what he did. Um so yeah, I think if you're looking to start something, yeah, I guess put yourself in the in the heart of it. It's probably a decent yeah. a decent way to look at it. Uh, yeah, I completely agree with that. Um, so on st- still on marketing, what do you think the hardest na- nowadays? So like as of right now, what do you think the hardest product uh, to market is as a general? Gosh, it's quite quite a big question. To be yeah, honest. I mean. You could come up with some ridiculous answers. Like, I'm sure it's probably really hard to sell uh, a really expensive car, I imagine, Mm. um, because there's not that many buyers in the world and there's quite a few luxury car brands. Um, Yeah, I have no idea. That's a really tricky question. I mean, I can tell you... um, Yeah, I have no idea, actually. The hardest product to sell, I I think you'd be doing it a disservice to whoever really is the hardest product by saying uh something silly but i definitely think uh for anyone that's starting their own clothing brand because clothing brand is the most common startup within britain yeah and so like i'm sure we all have that one kid at school who's starting their own clothing brand i'm yeah. sure there's probably someone that's at school completely true yeah yeah so uh i can imagine that that is like a really how do you make your clothing brand stand out? Like before we were talking yeah. about Levi's and, and the North Face owning one product, my co-founder Alex, when he started his brand, uh, I believe he started at high school, he really just did baseball caps with quotes on them. He yeah. owned that. He had a phrase, I came to break hearts and almost famous. And that's all that he yeah. really pushed to begin with was like, I'm mm. the cap guy. And that was really successful for him. So I guess I definitely think if creating a clothing brand is probably quite tricky because there's so yeah. many of them. Um, so is it breaking into a market that's already very well established with loads of other big name brands in it is the hardest or does it depend yeah I, I mean I think again though you can look at the clothing industry and go like, oh there's loads of brands but in the way that we really positioned ourselves so I don't feel like if you want to run a competition mm. I feel like you have to do it with Prosper 100 like, obviously I'm a bit biased but I'd be like you have to do it with Prosper 100 because Okay, if you're going to do a tech competition, yeah, you'd go with Kaggle. Kaggle are like the the biggest, or Agorize are pretty good for data science competitions. Yeah, but if you want to run a design competition, um, 
that gets tens of millions of views and gets articles and like all the if that's what you're looking for yeah you have to come to me yeah because i don't believe anyone else does it to the level that we do so mm. uh or, or even does it at all to a degree so um i i don't know like I, there's this really interesting talk i think it's by peter Thiel, which says like competition is for losers and yeah. it's this idea that make yourself so different that you almost don't have a competitor like with alex he had caps with slogans on so if you wanted a cap that has like a slogan on at the time there wasn't really any other brand doing that in yeah. the same way that for us if you want to run a design competition there's not really anyone else doing it in the way yeah. that we're doing it so yeah i think that's one way that i look at it personally which is maybe why i'm not able to give a very articulate yeah, answer no, to your no, real question yeah no i understand what you mean it's sort of what you were saying before as well as uh as you want to be the go-to brand when someone thinks of something so it's very much a similar sort sure. of idea um so one other thing with advertising before we move on is uh companies having integrity when they advertise do you feel like do you feel like it's important to come uh, for companies to have integrity? And do you feel like all companies do have integrity when they advertise? Or do you feel like they make things up or change like features of a product slightly to make something well, seem more appealing? There's a huge debate going on right now, right? Which is, is vegan leather really leather or is it plastic? So yeah. obviously I think the job for marketer is to make everything sound yeah. great. So do, is it important? I believe so, yes. Because if you're not, you're going to be found out like again nothing in this day and age can stay hidden for long like yeah. a celebrity ksi tried to hide who he was dating and eventually yeah. someone on the internet someone spends out, yeah. hours finding it there was that netflix documentary about the guy that killed a cat and there was literally just like a photo of a room with a socket and a hoover and they managed to track down the exact guy just from this one photo that you yeah. couldn't see him and so there are people out there that are going to find any information that is possible so yeah. i think you should act with integrity do all companies like obviously not because yeah. i mean they're trying to make their product sound as great as possible so i think we would be um perhaps a bit blind if we thought that all companies do um which makes it tricky for us and obviously greenwashing's the kind of the buzz phrase at the moment of how do you tell when a brand is greenwashing or not mm. um i think it's really tricky um for a consumer in this day and age um but i would definitely say you know from from a brand perspective, like again, from again, from a plus one hundred perspective, which is the best perspective I can speak from. Yeah, I'm always ridiculously conscious that everything plus one hundred does has to be um, in favor of designers. Like we, yeah. everything we have to do because our entire organization is to support designers. So there's a platform called Robinhood, and it democratized the ability to the stock market. And then when everyone was shorting GameStop stocks. And it was affecting kind of, uh, I guess, the, the big banks. They suspended trading on that stock, which yeah. is no longer in favor of the day-to-day -day trader. It was in favor of the, the big corporations. Mm. And so their brand was really tarnished because that's not being true to your community. Yeah. And, and for us, like we would always, above everything, the, the first thing we ask ourselves whenever we're working on a project is, you know, what is this supporting young designers and if it's not currently what do we need to change yeah. so um i just won't go into too many specifics but for example if there was a brand coming to us uh through a, a competition they wanted a designer to design them something mm. but they didn't want to pay a cash prize for it yeah obviously we're not going to go ahead with it because that's not okay and in fact 
it's not even just there needs to be a cash price. It needs to be of a certain standard yeah. that we sort of negotiate pretty hard with because for us, I'm not willing to tarnish my reputation with that community for any money. So, yeah, um, yeah I, I definitely think it's important for brands because at the end of the day, like, people will leave you and unfollow you pretty quickly. Yeah. So just that thing you're mentioning there with the cash prize, is that more on you not not wanting to be, not, not like wanting to associate yourself with that competition with the small cash prize? Or is it more of, you know, because of how like society is nowadays and people are like, oh, money, so that they'll go and do something. Is that more on the people that could potentially enter the competition that won't enter the competition? Or is that more No, it's, it's not really like a, a hook for us. It's more if someone is designing something for a brand, my belief is like when we did, uh, well, there's quite a big one coming up, but for me, it's like if you're designing that, you know, for a brand, I believe the winner deserves to be heavily compensated. Yeah. And obviously the point of the competition is a lot of people won't win. And so yeah. in my eyes, the, the prize needs to be so good that it makes that it's like, okay, that's worth so entering for a design as hard as, yeah as yeah. hard as they can or whatever it is well not even to motivate but it's like i just want it to justify to everyone like mm. this really is worth entering because the price is so great um yeah. and so yeah i'm really conscious that we have to really operate in a designer first mindset um because if we don't we're not serving the people we pledge to serve and yeah. we as an organization don't stand for anything then which is pointless so yeah. um yeah that that's I think you have to really stand by your, your core community in that respect. Yeah. No, I understand that. So back to your um, TED talk. A uh, phrase you mentioned was uh, long-term ambition. Okay. Uh, so you, uh, as yourself, I don't know why I said that, but yeah, uh, what is your long-term ambition? Uh, and or where, where, do, where do you sort of want to be? Or I may, maybe we've reached it already, I don't know. No, what I, is your aim? Yeah, I, I don't really know. Um, I don't... I don't really know... Um, what metric i want to put on like a long-term ambition um i think what's quite nice is to work towards really short-term goals as well so and obviously i said this a few years ago so i i don't actually remember using that exact phrase so i I, no, no i probably used it uh, i don't know in what context but i really like the fact that i work towards a lot of short-term goals yeah and so i know that okay i know what my next short-term goal is and what do i need to do today Mm. to get towards that short-term goal and thinking yeah. in a quite a, a short-term mindset to a degree um which i think is is nice because then you're kind of hopefully moving forward without i guess yeah putting so much pressure but definitely like always thinking and i think it's maybe easier for me to also talk about long-term goals with my friends often about you know what they're up to because i i don't know i think that's quite nice um yeah. but like for myself I, I find it i'm still at the age now where you know we're both super young i don't know really what KPIs, when you use that phrase, like what KPIs I'm gonna put for my long-term ambitions? Like, is it money-driven? Personally, for me, probably not so much. Yeah, definitely. Like, I guess in the back of the mind somewhere. Well, um, yeah, like everyone needs money, and everyone does yeah. want money. So I mean, but I don't know. Like, I I really don't know. I I definitely think if you'd asked me two years ago, would Prospect 100 be where it is today? Or in fact, two years ago we hadn't. Just over two years ago, we hadn't even started Prospect 100. I yeah. hadn't even thought about it, really. So mm. um, I definitely don't know. But I, I definitely... Um, no, I want to be in Bedford. So that's the yeah. 
the only long-term ambition is to stay in Bedford. Um, but what about yourself? Like, because you're what 16, 16 17 yeah. now. Yeah. You're working towards university. So, do you find it hard to look past university? Uh, I mean, just ma- I just feel like making a decision on something as important as well your university because there's some very like closed courses so you're going to do a particular course and it leads to a particular career and then you're stuck with that so i think picking a like open course almost or just something that adds a lot of variety so if you do a creative course something Mm -hmm. that will give you an opportunity to do to say you do something with cameras something you could do videography photography something like that because setting out individual so as when you're young you change over time so when i was like i don't know five i wanted to be a police officer Mm. and now i'm like no so the fact that i might change what i want to do drastically halfway through doing this one set course i've decided to do i feel like that made just the idea of that makes it hard for me to pick a course Mm. if you know what i mean because then i'm then stuck with something that i don't potentially want to follow through and do well, we'll have to have a long conversation about that off camera because I think education is super fascinating to me. Yeah. I, I did one year at uni uh, before dropping out and I guess like to what degree is university about what you learn versus I guess the experiences yeah. and the, the things you learn, not like the factual, re- like no one goes to university to study history just to know what date World War Two started or something, yeah. you know, so um, but we'll have a long chat. But I'm quite actually curious to know on that question, like what cause i was just thinking now for a second what does long term mean to you from like a young person's perspective yeah like from your perspective i think sort of career okay so where where i'll end up and say i don't know when i'm my parents age what career i'll be doing or okay where i'll be not not so much where i'm living or something like that but just what i'll be doing with my life for sure no okay to answer that question then really quickly cuz i i think Sometimes I think a bit too on the spot and don't really address things properly. I definitely think when it comes to like a long-term ambition, um, as I mentioned, I like to think in lots of short-term goals, but clearly there's like a North Star you're aiming towards, yeah, right? So all the short-term goals add up to one final e- thing. Exactly. And, and I think for me, I've always been, the mission for Prospect from 100 from day dot has been the TED of competitions. How do we become the TED of competitions? Yeah. And <clears throat> so that's, I, I guess, quite a long-term goal. But I would definitely say that from a personal level, I've always been deeply, deeply fascinated by how our generation gets into careers, which is actually where Prospect 100 kind of initially stemmed from. And it was all to do with a conversation I had with a guy called Harry Hambly, who goes Mm. by the name Ketnips on the internet. I remember speaking to him and he was 17 or 18 at the time, building this art account that at the time had like 200,000 followers. And I was saying to him, you know, how did you get into the world of art? Like, yeah. How did that happen? And what he was telling me was so different from the traditional path into careers. And obviously you then couple that with all of those assemblies you get given when you're a kid of like yeah. X percentage of jobs won't exist by this year. And mm. and the fact that 85% of jobs, whatever it might be, that you're applying for when you're of age don't exist today. Yeah. And so I just find the idea of how like how our generation or how people younger than us or all of us or any age, I guess, are getting into um, careers. I, I'm really deeply fascinated with that as a, as a whole. And I definitely think that that obviously changed. Like obviously since lockdown, that fascination has then twinkled a bit more towards 
the idea of working from home and how we yeah. make that um as effective as possible if it is the most effective way of working um and so i definitely say like, that's not like a long-term goal but it's definitely something that i guess will always run alongside my thoughts but yeah, yeah. for me the long-term goal at the moment is how do we make prospect 100 the TED of competitions how do we make prospect 100 so that when you think competition you think prospect 100 and prospect 100 becomes a pop culture reference like that's yeah. that's my goal it's talking about uh the careers that so say advertise to young people so careers that young people might want to do so say you're like 10 years old and you've grown up watching a particular youtuber say play video games or something yeah they'll be like oh that's a really exciting career i'd love to do that so people that are actually getting into these new very very new careers because obviously youtube's only been around for like 15 years or something i remember watching one of my first ever proper youtube videos when i just started like i think i was yeah seven or something well, so. yeah so not very so it's a very new platform is yeah. ba basically the idea so these careers that are being created off the back of these new platforms and say you you started in lockdown you got a few million subscribers and now you sort of faded off into nothing you still have a few, a few people watching you but it's not as many and you've dropped out of university to try and pursue this career this is becoming quite hypothetical quite quickly i like it keep it going quite, keep going it's quite, it's quite hypothetical but do you feel like um so people that will suddenly switch everything they're doing to devote well, all their resources into this one potentially not very sustainable career what I don't know. What do you think about that? Do you think I, I it's actually worth have a, it or it's not worth it? I actually it? have a really good personal example of this. Um, yeah. Won't mention by name, but there were some really good friends of mine who started when I was 15. They had a YouTube channel and they were 16. Yeah. And they were doing really, really well. They were yeah. sort of, you had KSI, you had the Sidemen, mm. and then you had these guys. Like, yeah. they, were, they were big. Yeah. I remember um, hanging out with them in London once, and, like, a lot of the Sidemen boys would come over and talk to them. Mm. Like, Calyx fully knew who they were and stuff. Yeah. And they dropped out of school. There was three of them. Mm. Four of them, sorry. Three of them had GCSEs. One of them dropped out before GCSEs. Yeah. And they were making insane money at the time. Like, yeah. by anyone's standards, insane yeah. money. They then created a video when they were 17 or 18 years old. So yep. still super young. Super young, yeah. They created a video that had their channel deleted from the platform. Mm. And what I found really interesting from that experience, I was only 16, maybe at the time, 17, was, first of all, as you said, how quickly everything can change. Yeah. But importantly, like, what duty does YouTube have to these creators? Because that was their only source of income. Yeah. It was, yeah, that, that was their livelihoods. That channel was everything to them. And now yeah. we're looking at a world where, you know, I'm constantly petrified that Prospect 100's account might be taken down for copyright. For, for who knows what reason. I, yeah. That's something I'm petrified about because for me, my Instagram account probably carries a bit too much value than it should. And yeah. for these guys, their entire audience was on one platform already. All of their revenue was from this one platform and they lost it overnight. Yeah. You can't go back to school. Yeah. You can't all of a sudden just jump back into education or whatever. So they had to make a pivot. And that was, uh, you know, I haven't spoken to them in too much detail about the pivot because I think it was probably quite sensitive at the time. They were still very young. And they've all pivoted in, in different directions. But that's a really, I think that's one thing which we don't speak about enough is like mm. there are plenty of kids 
who are starting these channels. Yeah. Then being exposed to fame, like they really, every time we went out into the streets of London, they would get recognized yeah. a lot. Yeah. Um, they were exposed to huge amounts of money, mm. and then everything was taken away from them overnight. Yeah. And I find that. So I, I can't quite remember the original question. We'll get back to that in a second. But I find that to be quite scary. And I think platforms do owe um, their creators, and not just creators, but giggers, full stop, yeah. um, more security or more um, uh, support, a, a better support network. Because these guys, you know, if you're 16 and that's just happened to you, yeah. you would feel like your world has just fallen yeah. apart in front of you and there's no one there to support you. Like, if I said to my parents, oh, yeah, I, I have a YouTube channel and I do this many views and this amount of money, they would have no idea what's going on. Yeah. So my parents aren't adequately, at least in my case, they're not adequately equipped to yeah. support me in that scenario. Yeah. And YouTube weren't supporting. So a 16, 17-year-old has to work that all out for themselves. Yeah. And I think there's more that needs to be done uh, from the support angle. Sorry, again, could we, I forgot the exact so question. It's, it sort of is a career in online less the example we're doing is content creation yeah is that a sustainable career i mean i think that's i would yeah i would say so um i think content's so important to companies now it's you know ryanair i know it more and more and more mm. for their founder giving talks or yeah. not founder, the CEO giving talks and the TikTok account. If it wasn't yeah. for those two things, I wouldn't really know anything about Ryan other than it's cheap flights. Um, so I think content's really important. So whether it's being a freelancer, creating content for yourself yeah. as a YouTuber might or creating content, I think content creation as a bracket's here to stay. But it's quite similar in the way that there are plenty of jobs where you freelance, like farmers can freelance. Yeah. Uh, so you either work for a farm or you go around as a contract farmer yourself uh, for different farms or designers do the same. Perhaps that's going to be a similar case here where, okay, I'm a content creator on my own channel, but the revenue's not quite enough for that, but what I need. So I need to go and work full time for a, an ad agency like Wyden and Kennedy or whoever. But yeah, I think yeah. content's so important. So 100% it's sustainable. It's just it's another freelance job. It's like yeah. being a farmer. I thought not a great parallel, but hopefully my point's kind of made well. Yeah, like there no, are, there are a mean. lot of jobs where they're freelance and, yeah. and it's just a different way of working. But then just the thing with like content creation online is it can all just be turned off overnight with the, the example you gave to so say right yeah. now, I'm sure a lot of their like marketing resources has now gone into their TikTok or their Instagram. Uh, so if they make one wrong move or one wrong, something happens, that's just all gone. Their like personal that. brand is, yeah. But yeah. that doesn't mean that they aren't great at con creating content. Like, I'm sure that all of those guys um, would have had a, particularly in this day and age, would have a really good shot at getting a job at a top ad agency because they still built an audience of millions of people. Yeah. Um, And so, yes, that element is, that kind of freelance effort's gone. And that is quite different as in, I, I guess, you know, if you're a, a freelance designer, all of a sudden you're not going to become a, no, a nobody overnight just because... So it's different, I, I acknowledge yeah. that. But I definitely believe that content now is more important than it's ever been. And there are more opportunities to turn that into a full-time career than there were when they were in a bad position. So is it becoming more of a sustainable career, perhaps, is the, the question. I think it's becoming more and more sustainable because more and more brands are realizing the power of content and creating their own content in-house. So yeah, um, yeah, I think it's becoming more and more sustainable. 
but again it's yeah like any freelance job is tricky yeah uh, yeah i completely agree again um so back to you and your career it, it, it sounds like a really boring question like i've just got out of google or something but what is the best lesson someone has ever taught you or you've been taught or you found out or something like that i think the idea of owning one thing has been pretty powerful like yeah. the idea of owning with the best design competitions yeah uh, that's that's been super powerful uh, i really like the analogy of um perception is reality so again yeah. like we were some kids still are some kids running competitions on instagram yeah and there are plenty of people that do that but the minute like one or two celebrities put their name to us yeah all of a sudden it was a big deal and all of a sudden we were elevated so I do quite like that quote. Um, but I definitely think the one that really stuck with me was a kid called Jalen Bledsoe from the US really kind of created this almost like diagram. In fact, it was it's kind of similar to like, I think David Hume's philosophical theory that you learn in like year nine RE. Yeah. And it was, um, you create like a grid uh, two by two. And it's this idea of if you don't start your own organization. What's the best that could possibly happen and what's the worst that could possibly happen? Yeah. And so if you do start something, what's the best that could happen and what's the worst that could happen? And he told me that at 14, so I was always wanting to create and do things. It's like, particularly when you're younger, you have less to lose than when you're older. Yeah. You know, so if, I, if you're like, if you've got kids, if you have rent to pay, yeah. bills to pay, clearly that's trickier than being 14 where you probably don't have kids to feed and you don't have those same responsibilities. And what's great is within this day and age, you can use social media to do anything. So like my first proper business, I guess, in that respect was a social media marketing agency because yeah. that was free to do. I can manage yeah. some of social media for free. I don't need anything for that. So it yeah. didn't cost me a penny. All it required me to do was to go and knock on some businesses' doors and say, hey, it's a school project. Can yeah. I speak to you for a bit? And then try and sell them this social media service. And mm. then everything from there was free. So I think what was great is it was no risk to me if it fails. So I haven't lost, I've lost like a few hours of my life trying to sell yeah. to people. Um, so that was, I think that was a really uh, eye-opening experience, let's say. Yeah, so just to conclude what you just said. So it's pretty much when you're young, You've got a lot of opportunities and a lot of time. And nowadays, pretty much anyone can do anything within reason on the internet. You can learn all these new yeah. skills or do all these new things or start a company literally out of your bedroom. So just to take advantage of what you can. Yeah, that's my belief. I'm always conscious of saying it so explicitly just because, yeah. you know, there's there's obviously lots of different caveats in there. Yeah. But yeah, no, on the whole, like that was, that was my belief. And yeah. that's um, something that really stuck with me. And it's probably the the one message i tried to if ever speaking to someone is like, oh i don't know if i should start so it's like well why not like you're 16 yeah like what is there to lose so sort of exactly thing. yeah um that's my belief yeah so if you could go back to so how old are you now just turned 23 just turned 23 two so, weeks ago yeah okay happy birthday two Cheers, weeks ago man. if you could go back to 18 so when you're just about to start uni i know you said you dropped out but yeah still the just that time in your life and you're looking at your 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 opportunities at that age. Is there anything you change about how you went about how you went about 
No, I think I had a pretty decent um, mindset, I hope. But yeah. I definitely think one thing I love uh, saying to friends who are at uni is like, imagine this. You are in a place where there are probably tens of thousands of people. Mm. Often, they have quite a lot of spare time because yeah. I don't know what universities you're looking at, but my one, I we were barely ever in lectures. Yeah. So you have loads of time tens of thousands of people that have spare time and mm. across those tens of thousands of people there's lots of different skill sets yeah and i think what's really interesting is the fact that if anyone was interested in starting their own thing like for example you're clearly interested in podcasting so yeah. when you go to university there'll be loads of people there so who have really different skills there might be someone that's studying acting who wants to become a presenter for example yeah. there might be someone who like obviously you're really good at all the the technical stuff as well as presenting and so yeah. You know, you can imagine you find a consultant. There might be someone that studies marketing. It's like, this could be a really cool project for them to work on. Of mm. How many views can I get on a podcast? Because even if it doesn't become their full-time occupation, yeah. it's a case study for them to use in their CV. Of like, yeah. I was the head of marketing for this podcast and we got to this position in the podcast charts on Apple, whatever. Yeah. And so I really think anyone that's going to uni now, I would really be looking at as the chance of a lifetime to mm. be creating something new because there are so many people around you with so many different skills and at what point in your life like when you go into the working environment not so many people a bit busier yeah real life liabilities and the facilities aren't there like when you're like here i mean this setup's absolutely insane mm. there's not many places in the world other than educational establishments where you're going to get high-tech kit yeah. support from staff who are yeah. quite often like really good at their craft so i would say to anyone that's like going to university or uh, just started or whatever it might be, like use it as an opportunity to build something because yeah. I'm really strongly believe that even though I don't still do social media marketing for companies, mm. I learned so much by doing that about yeah. marketing, branding, sales, even silly dumb things like invoicing, like how do you, what kind of terms do companies want to hear? Because like if I say, oh, I'm just going to send you like, a bill for what I do. That's not, you know, that is this yeah. word invoice. So like simple things like that. I learned by doing, and I was yeah. really good at, I think I learned best by doing. And I think that when you're at university, there's a real opportunity to learn by doing. And, mm. you know, we were just speaking, you don't know where you're going to uni yet, no, right? No, yeah, no. If, if at all, but, um, you know, I can imagine you going crazy with a podcast or maybe Probably, like a, yeah. even short films or whatever yeah. it might be like, I can imagine some crazy stuff. Again, the setup's insane. So you've done a <laughs> great you. job. Thank you. But yeah, so it's sort of just take again, taking very much advantage of what's around you and who's around you. For sure. Just on a day-to-day -day basis sort of thing. And the one final thing I'd say about uni is it's very rare that you're going to be around people from such different cultural backgrounds. Like yeah. I remember at uni, people were from pretty much every part of the world. Like there were... I mean, my uni was very much predominantly Americans, but also a lot of South Africans, yeah. uh, Zimbabweans, uh, people from sort of, again, I never really had the chance to mingle with so many people from South Africa or America or whatever it might be. Mm. And they all come with different perspectives, different skill yeah. sets, different like outlooks on life. Mm. So yeah, I just, I don't know, I really envy someone that's going into that environment because it's really, the way I have it in my head is it's quite a nice kind of protective bubble where you know there's support systems around you that want to yeah. help you whether yeah. that be the students or the staff or the facilities whatever it might be which you don't have in like yeah normal life no i agree with that 
Well, I mean, I don't, I don't yet know, but I, I see where you're coming from. I'm sure you're looking forward, forward to it. I very much am looking forward to it. So since you you join university or you start your own business, is there anything you regret, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, I think we did plenty of dumb things. Um, we One of the first things we did was we hired a PR agency to try and push our competitions, and it flopped yeah. horrifically. And that was like our only expense for the whole year. Yeah. Um, so like things like that but i don't really regret it because you i guess again you learn from the it's mistakes so yeah, yeah like I, there's not been anything we've done that's horrifically bad where yeah. it's sort of that was like the verge of you know killing anything yeah, so yeah, yeah. um i don't think there's any regrets there's definitely dumb stuff we've done though yeah. uh, but i think as well there were plenty of smart things we did which kind of balanced it out so i remember thinking sometimes like okay we did that really dumb thing but we have done a few smart things which most people would have maybe forked out quite a lot of cash for. So we were lucky to balance out. But you obviously try not to do the dumb things again and yeah. again. What about yourself though? I'm, I'm keen. Like, is there anything you've you've done it? I feel like at this age is as little yeah, you can. I, not not really. I don't think. I mean, there's the odds like, oh, I shouldn't have done that sort of thing. But in terms of major like life check, not really. No, I don't feel like. And I feel like until a lot of responsibility has been laying on me for something, whether that's like owning a company or running part of a company or something like that. I don't feel like the wrong things I do would necessarily have the same effect as me just doing something wrong. And in that respect, because obviously you just said that there's nothing you've really regretted. Um, what would you say, I guess, to your peers who probably turn down things because they're like worried about regret? There must be plenty of people in your year like, oh, I don't want to do that because... I'm just not sure, like, what if something bad happens, blah, blah, blah. Like, I don't yeah. want to do the, the school play because what if I forget my lines on stage or something? Yeah. Like, what would you say to to those people? It's sort of what we've been discussing the whole time. Just why not? Like, take whatever opportunities you have and say, say someone doesn't want to come on the podcast, which has happened before. They're like, oh, no, I'm scared to come on. Like, it's just me and you sitting in a room. Like, it's not a pressured environment, really. It just It's just like a conversation. It's just normal. Just take the opportunity if you really don't want to do it that's fine but as of just me suggesting the idea to you and you being like no just just why not just take an opportunity we, we could come on we could have a good chat or you could come on and we'd have a rubbish chat and i wouldn't end up posting it but either way just i think it is sort of the gen z mindset again as well that they just will just decline ideas straight out the bat after not really hearing or them being explained to them I think what's interesting, particularly about your, like, when you're at school or universities, you have this real, there are, like, I don't know, a thousand kids at school with you. Yeah. And they're going to maybe tease or mock or whatever. Yeah. Uh, particularly if something goes wrong, because, mm -hmm. like, I guess you're open for it. Have yeah. you found, though, with anything you've ever done at school, anyone's ever been anything but genuinely supportive? I mean, it's, where do you draw the line between sort of them just taking the piss out of you just for a joke and then them like actually not going with it. Cause I know, I know there are people that will pretend, Oh, you, you do podcasting. That's a bit weird. Or you, you take photos. That's a bit weird, but whether they actually mean it or whether they're just doing it to like look cool to their friends or whatever, I don't really know. But for example, there's one, there's one person in like, I think maybe your year, maybe the year above you who I've seen online does quite a lot of commentating at sports events oh, and yeah, stuff. Oh, yeah, I know you're talking about, yeah. Yeah, and I can imagine, like, 
that's quite a scary thing. You're putting yourself out there and you can yeah. imagine, like, oh, loads of people are going to take the mick out of me or whatever. But I don't know, like, whenever I see it online, I feel like everyone shows crazy love and is really yeah. supportive. And I can imagine that if you didn't do it because you're worried about, like, you're worried about something that's not even happened yet. You're worried that someone's going to say something that they've not even said yet, if that makes sense. Like, I felt like that was always a weird reason not to do things, um, to be super scared yeah. of other people's perceptions that they haven't even laid out yet. Because most of the time, actually, people are way more supportive. Like, I'd like to think that you've had quite a lot of compliments yeah. for your work, actually uh, more yeah, than true. teasing. And the boy you're talking about as well, he's very, like, he's quite a good friend of mine. He takes every opportunity that comes up to do creative stuff or just any all the commentating work. He, like, really puts himself into it and will be there whenever they need him. And he literally does exactly what you say and just takes every opportunity he can. And then, well, it's becoming successful for him as well. And I bet a lot of people show him a lot of love at school. They do, exactly, yeah. Like, the respect you garnish from doing things that, as you start out, people may say, oh, that's a bit weird. But then, as you become popular with it and become almost famous with it, they'll be like, oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, exactly. I mean, when, when I was at school, there was a, a guy that was like a cyclist and obviously a lot of people be like, oh, cycling, whatever. Yeah. And then recently he was just in the Olympics and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, okay, like, yeah. that's really cool. Well, well and so, exactly, yeah. You know, so again, I think to not do something because of peer pressure, that's not even, doesn't it's not even real, doesn't exist exactly, at this point. Yeah. Like it's all in your head. I feel like it's a weird reason. So mm. I think almost with that idea as well, if people are peer pressuring you, uh, peer pressuring you into not doing something, I think for some people, and possibly for me as well, it almost fuels you to do it even more to sort of show them that you can become something bigger than what they think you can become. For sure. Yeah. For but sure. Like I know that I bet the commentator guy, which we won't say name of, but I can imagine um you know, like when he commentates that first massive game, yeah. It'll be like a massive deal for for not just him, but for everyone that's exactly, been around yeah. him all the way. So yeah, I find it I really feel like school and university as a whole is a great environment for, mm. for building. Well, I think we're done, unless you've got anything else to add on. No, I just said. want to thank you. And again, like, the setup's insane here. So I don't know who you've got coming on next, but they're going to have a great time. So. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for coming on, though, of course, and taking time out of your of clearly very busy life to no, come I appreciate it, man. Well, thanks so much. And uh, for everyone that's watching, make sure you click, like, subscribe. <laughs> like I was always told that's one thing yeah. when you're on social media is you just tell people what to do. Yeah. Apparently, like if you kind of hope they do it now, you've got to say, click that like button, subscribe, go, like, comment subscribe. below, and uh, be ready for episode three coming very soon. <laughs> Cheers, man. <laughs> thank appreciate you very much it. for coming on. Thank you. No, thanks so much.